Amen. Well, hello, Village Church East. Great to be with you. Those online, great to be with you. And um, maybe some of you are saying, that's not Pastor Craig. That is correct. He's way older than me. Anyway, I'm, I'm blessed to be here. Uh, we're great friends, and as you know, uh, Beth and Craig and their family are incredible uh, under shepherds of our Lord. So you are, you know, you're blessed to, to have them and to be a part of this work and this church. And I am blessed to be here today. We've been friends for a while, Craig and I, and I'm one of the pastors at a, of a church called Compass. And um, I'm at the Naperville campus. We have Naperville and South Naperville and Bolingbrook and Wheaton, and um, I get to be with you guys today, and I'm blessed. Would you pray with me, and I need God to help me this morning. Father, thank you for this moment in time. Thank you for each person that's in this place and each person that's watching online or will eventually watch this online. I just pray, Lord, that you would um, filter out my words, and Lord, would you uh, filter in yours. Anything that is of me, I pray it goes in one ear and out the other, and everything that is of you, I pray it hits the mark. We look forward to what you are going to do this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So back in 2005, Laura and I and our daughter Rachel, she was an infant. We both actually took a job in Baton Rouge, Louisiana and packed up our SUV and headed down. Got down there, I really liked it, loved the food and uh, loved the weather and uh, we're loving it, loving our new jobs. And then four weeks later, you remember what happened in 2005 in August? Hurricane Katrina. So Hurricane Katrina was, was coming ashore in the Gulf, and Laura and I were deciding, us being from the Midwest, we don't know what to do. Do we stay? Do we go? Do we, I don't know. What do we do? So we decided that we were going we're gonna to go. And I booked a hotel room in Houston, and we got on the interstate to head out, and we left too late. The interstate was a parking lot. People were actually barbecuing. So it was bad. So, you know, I was like, what are we going to do? So what happened is we, we said, let's get off the interstate, and let's just start heading north. So we did. Off. And as we were heading north, we figured we were up high enough, we began to go into, you know, different hotels to see if they had rooms, and one hotel after another, there was no room at the inn. So we drove for 12 hours. We ended up in Greenville, Mississippi, where we found a room in one of those no-tell motels. And I won't get into the details of it, but we were grateful that we had a room and we stayed there overnight. 
Got up early in the morning, turned the TV on to see how things had developed. Hurricane Katrina had come ashore. We were watching, just like many of you were, the devastation. And Laura and I both thought, we, we need to get back. Now, I thought we needed to get back right away. And Laura was like, why don't we wait a little bit? But I am, you know, kind of a meteorologist. <laughs> and I said, hey, listen, honey. Let me tell you, wives, you know when, when your husband says that, that you're pretty much in trouble. Let me tell you, honey, it's, you know, it's going to come up, and it's, it's veering to the east. So if we leave, by the time it kind of gets to us, it'll veer off to the east, and we'll miss it. We can get home and see what the damage is and see if our church and school is going to do something for this uh, for the evacuees coming out of New Orleans. So she said, okay, and we hopped in the SUV and we started heading south. Well, I was incorrect with my assessment of Hurricane Katrina. It didn't actually veer completely to the east. It began to go northeast. So what happened is I drove right through the side of Hurricane Katrina. And you want to talk about fear. I mean, the clouds seemed like they were low enough you could touch them. And they were moving so fast. I've never seen clouds move that fast. And Laura was like, I don't think this is good. And I'm like, oh, no problem. As trees are falling in our path and power lines and we're driving in people's yards and people in front of us, I wasn't the only fool, some guys in pickup trucks would hop out if there was a tree, they'd cut the tree up, push it aside, and we'd continue on. <laughs> Again, Laura was talking about her fear I, cool as a cucumber, on the outside, I'm not afraid, this is fine, we're good. On the inside, petrified. We ended up getting back to Baton Rouge. Our house was still intact. It had a tree that had just gently fell on it. And we were safe. You know, people deal with fear different ways. Right? Some people scream. Some people close their eyes and scream. Uh, some people laugh. Some people swear. Some people pass out. Some people tense up. Some people like me, we, we don't let people see it. But on the inside, we're petrified. Fear is a real emotion. It affects us all. Each and every one of us, we face different things in our lives that cause us to be fearful. The question is, what do we do when fear strikes? We're going to take a look at a passage in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to discover how a teenager 
14, 15-ish, how she dealt with fear. Let's take a look. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 30. In Nazareth, a city in the rural province of Galilee, the heavenly messenger Gabriel made another appearance. This time, the messenger was sent by God to meet with a virgin named Mary, who was engaged to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David himself. The message entered, the messenger entered her home. Greetings, he said. Or she said, I'm not sure which they are. Gabriel seems like a man's name, but in any event, greetings. You are favored, and the Lord is with you. Among all women on the earth, you have been blessed. The heavenly messenger's words baffled in this version, petrified in other versions, and she wondered what kind of greeting this was, and we read in verse 30 that the messenger Gabriel says to her, don't be afraid. Let's stop there for a second. Mary, 14-ish, she's in her home. Maybe she's in her bedroom. Maybe she's doing a little needlepoint. Maybe she's in the kitchen doing dishes. Her parents aren't home. And all of a sudden, greetings. Gabriel, the angel. Now, mind you, sometimes when we think or we, we have seen depictions of angels in a painting or maybe in a book, you know, in our minds, an angel is a little baby with a diaper and little wings and a halo. That is not who visited Mary. Listen to this, Daniel 10, 5 and 6. This is a description of this same Gabriel that visited Daniel. Daniel writes, I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Epaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam and burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. Now that's an angel, <laughs> Gabriel is a warrior of the Lord. And this is the one who visited Mary. Face like a lightning bolt, eyes like flaming torches of fire, arms and legs that gleam like polished chrome, and a voice like thunder. Now we may begin to understand Mary's fear. So Gabriel's there and Mary's there and maybe the fear level comes down underneath the panic, I've got to get out of here level. And she begins to wrap, around, wrap her head around this 
(laughs) encounter. And then the angel hits her with this, verse 30. You have found favor with God. Listen, you are going to become pregnant. You will have a son, and you must name him Savior or Jesus. Jesus will become the greatest among men. He will be known as the Son of the Most High. God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over the covenant family of Jacob forever. And Mary responds, oh, gosh, okay, I get it now. I'm not afraid anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's all is well with my soul. But maybe they're having a conversation and, and maybe she says something like, uh, let, me, let me get this straight, just bear with me here. Gabriel, let me, let me get this straight. I'm going to become pregnant. I'm going to give birth to a baby. I'm going to name him Jesus. And he's going to be the savior of the world. Hmm. And she says this to Gabriel, just, you know, just so you know, <laughs> I've never been with a man. And maybe, I, I mean, I don't know, but maybe sarcastically she says, so, like, how is this possible? Just ask it. The angel tells her this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Most High will overshadow you. That's why this holy child will be known as just not your son, but also as the Son of God. It sounds impossible. I'm sure Mary's like, "Uh uh-huh. But listen, Gabriel says, you know your relative Elizabeth has been unable to bear a child and is now far too old to be a mother, yet she has become pregnant as God willed it. Yes, in three months she will have a son, so the impossible is possible with God. Right? And I'm just not so sure Mary went, oh, (laughs) now I get it. She might have thought or said, well, well, thanks for explaining all of that, Gabriel. And even Mary in her mind might have thought, you know what, I can, I can understand that Elizabeth could get pregnant and have a child because, I mean, I understand that she's past the, the years of being able to have a baby, but she is married and she can have intimacy with her husband, which means, I mean, that's, it would be a miracle, but it's a heck of a lot more possible than me, who's never slept with a man, becoming pregnant. Mary, in her mind, and might have even said to Gabriel, I don't have a husband, <laughs> just so you know. If seeing Gabriel and hearing the news that Gabriel gave her about that she would become pregnant with a son and the savior of the world wasn't enough to scare her, I'm sure she began to think of the ramifications if, in fact, 
this was true. Because if it's true, she will have to break the news to Joseph. And breaking this kind of news to Joseph, it wasn't like coming home after a shopping spree at the market. It wasn't like backing the donkey up into another donkey's hoof. This was, Joe, um, could you sit down? Can you imagine the ramifications as he was hearing her? Right? I mean, I'm a guy. I'm going to immediately go to, you slept with someone. How could you do that? Joseph would believe, I mean, that she slept with someone. Another ramification, she would be perceived as an adulterer by everyone in the community. And in this culture, it meant that she was going to be abandoned by everyone or might be stoned. In Matthew 1.18 and Luke 1.27, we read that Mary was betrothed to Joseph. And this betrothal period began when a contract was made and sealed by a payment that was known as the mohar. The mohar was the bride price the groom or the family of the groom paid to the bride's father. This mohar served to compensate the bride's father for wedding expenses and to provide a type of insurance for the bride in the event the groom became dissatisfied with the bride. The contract was considered binding the moment it was signed. And this meant that the man and woman were legally married even though the marriage ceremony called the chuppah and the consummation of the marriage called the I won't say, even though that hadn't happened, you see, this was a signed deal and there was money involved. Mary knew all of this. So not only was she afraid when she encountered Gabriel and heard the words, as she heard the words, she began to think about what the, what the ramifications of this, so it's like a double dose of fear. At the time that Gabriel visited Mary, you see, Joseph and his family would have already paid the mohar. So if Mary became pregnant during this betrothal period, it broke God's commandment. It violated Jewish custom. It would be a breach of contract between the families. The bride price would have been forfeited and it would have brought immense shame to both families. God sent a warrior angel by the name of Gabriel to call Mary to bear a son who would become the savior of the world 
without being married while engaged. Think about that. You think Mary was afraid? You bet she was. Let's transfer our attention from Mary to us. A question for you. Does God still speak to his people? Yes. He speaks to us through other people. He speaks to us through the Bible. He speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. And as he speaks through his word and through people and through the Holy Spirit, he calls us to follow his word, his ways, and his will. Right? When God calls us to forgive someone who hurt us badly, we are afraid to forgive them because we, we fear that they'll hurt us again. God calls us to make amends to people when we wrong them. And it, it leads us to being afraid of how they will respond to our amend. God calls us to step out of the boat of comfort onto the sea, and we are afraid, if we do, that we'll sink. God calls single men and women to stay sexually pure and to hold off from intimacy until they're married. And sometimes singles, they're they're afraid to do that because they're afraid they will lose their boyfriend or girlfriend. God calls us to abstain from substances that we use to escape. And we're like, I'm afraid if I abstain from that substance, I will not have anything to cope with my issues. God calls husbands to love their wives one way, sacrificially, expecting nothing in return. And us husbands go, gosh, if we do that, well, who will love us? And God calls wives to submit to their husbands who are submitting to Jesus. And wives say, wait a second, that leaves me open to be taken advantage of, and I'm afraid of that. God calls us to not conform to the pattern of this world, and we fear what people will think of us if we do that. Jesus calls us to be witnesses. And fear steps in, and it says, what if... Man, what if they ask me that question about the Bible and I don't know it? What if they reject me? God calls us to bring the whole tide to the storehouse, which is the church. 
And we fear that if we do that, we won't have enough for us. We are called to seek God first and all else will be given. And we hear that, but we fear that God will, he'll take something that we have or we won't get something we want. Mary, a 14-year-old girl, was called by God through Gabriel to bear a son, and she was not married. And she hadn't slept with Joseph. And she was afraid. How did this scared teenager respond to God's call. Verse 38. Deciding in her heart. You know what? Sometimes we read scripture so fast that we don't, we don't give, it a, give it time to kind of breathe. And, and in between some of those verses, there's time that goes by and it appears that, you know, Mary, she encountered Gabriel. She was afraid. She got over her fear, and she decided, okay, no problem. But I don't think that's how it happened. I'm not positive. But for most humans, there is a process when it comes to deciphering our fear. But Mary, deciding in her heart, what did she say? She said, here I am. I'm the Lord's humble servant. As you have said, let it be done to me. Wow. You know, as we read through the pages of Scripture, we, we come across men and women in the Old Testament and the New Testament that were called by God they were called to do his will. They were called to do something that was beyond their comprehension. They were called to follow his word. And they were afraid. But yet came to a place of saying, as you have said, let it be done to me. How about Moses? I mean, he's minding his own business shepherding sheep, and God comes to him and says, hey, Moses, I need you to go back to Egypt and set my people free. And <laughs> Moses is like, ah, uh, no, nah, I'm good. Because in his mind, he's thinking, that means I'm going to have to go see Pharaoh, and Pharaoh, <laughs> he wants to put an end to me. But what does Moses say? As you've said, let it be done. Elijah, he's hiding in a cave. Jezebel wants him dead. And God talks to him, comes to him in a, in a whisper and says, hey, Elijah, I need you to go back <laughs> and face Jezebel. And at first he's like, no, just take me out. But then, as you've said, let it be done. How about Esther? God calls her to approach a king that will kill her. 
And what does she do? After <laughs> fighting through the fear, she approaches the king. She says to God, as you've said, let it be done. Rahab, not even a believer at the time. God calls her to protect some of his guys. And what does she do? She does it. As you have said, let it be done. How about Peter? <laughs> Jesus calls him to come out of the boat and walk on water in the midst of a storm. You think Peter was afraid? You bet he was. But he said, you know what? Uh, as you have said, Jesus, let it be done. Steps out of the boat, walks on the water. How about Jesus himself? He's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is fearful. In hours, he's going to face the cross. He's going to have the sins of the entire world, past, present, and future, upon him. He is afraid. He says to Father, Father, isn't there another way that this could go down? But then he says, not your will, but mine. Be done. You know, we hear of these accounts and we're like, wow. How were they able to do that? There's an answer. I think we find the answer in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. Perfect love drives out fear. Each brother and sister of the Old Testament that I mentioned, they faced their fear. They surrendered to God and to his will. How did they do it? They trusted in God's love for them. How about Jesus? He was afraid. How did he face his fear and surrender to the will of his father? He believed and trusted in God's and the father's perfect will for him. How about Mary? When she encountered Gabriel and she heard those words from him that she was be going to become a mother, <laughs> and that she was going to give birth to the Savior of the world. Fear gripped her. But despite her fear, she surrendered and trusted in God's love for her. And she said, despite my fear, let it be so. And as she trusted in God's love, God moved supernaturally in her. Her fear I believe it, maybe it didn't happen all at once, but her fear began to subside, and then eventually the fear was conquered by God's love. And nine months later, she gave birth to the Savior of the world. Today, we have the greatest demonstration of love the world has ever seen. That baby that Mary gave birth to died on a cross 
shedding his blood for ours so that we could be forgiven, so that our slate of sins could be removed, so that we could be reconciled to God and so that we would have eternity in heaven with him. It is that perfect love that can drive out any fear we might face if we believe in it and trust in it. What fear are we facing today? Not only are we supposed to or are called to read God's word, we are, we are called to follow it exclusively and completely. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read it, I come across things I'm like, oh no. Because now that I've read it, I'm responsible for it. And sometimes I'm afraid. Sometimes God is calling us from the safety of shore into deeper water, and we're afraid. Sometimes God is calling us to start something or stop something, and we're afraid. Sometimes God calls us to go somewhere, and sometimes he calls us to stay where we are and we're afraid. God calls us to surrender to his will. And sometimes that surrender causes fear. How can we face our fears? We surrender to God's word and will because God is faithful to his word. He's a promise maker and a promise keeper. So when he tells us that his perfect love will drive out our fear, it is true. What's our part? Believe it. Trust in it. His perfect love will cast out all our fears. Won't you pray with me? Father, thank you. Your word is so rich. It is, it's beautiful. Your word encourages, it inspires, it convicts, it comforts, it, it speaks. And today, Father, we, we read for the first time or we remembered it <laughs> when we're facing a fear. We remember that it is your perfect love for us that can drive out any fear. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.